0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Scene, where each episode my guest and I talk about one sequence from a film and discuss it from every and any angle we can find. Why does it work? How does it work? great film is alchemy, the result of an interaction between writing, performance, light, sound, sets, and editing. On Making the Scene, we try to understand that alchemy through the lens of a single scene, to understand the director's approach to their film by examining how and why they built this one specific moment. The guests are my choice, but the scenes are theirs. Today, that guest is film and music writer Natalie Marlin, whose excellent critique meant I was very happy when she posted that she was looking for podcasts to join just as I was getting the season together. And Today, she's bringing us an incredible scene from Stanley Donnan and Gene Kelly's 1952 classic, Singing in the Rain. How are you today, Natalie?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm glad to be on this.
0: It's really good to have you. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. I hadn't seen Singing in the Rain in a very, very long time. So this was really cool to get to revisit it. Um, Tell me about the specific scene you've chosen and, um, you know, how does it fit into the film?
1: Yeah, so the scene that I chose is uh, Kind of a, a longer sequence Toward the end of the film uh, Known as uh, the Broadway melody And it's it kind of stands out Among the rest of the film It is the, the longest musical number uh, Like far longer than any of the Usually like three or four minute Routines throughout the rest of the picture And it's it's one that is kind of like Often discussed because the entire sort of like approach and cinematic language that it takes with it uh, is a drastic shift from kind of the way that the rest of the film and its like somewhat grounded in reality uh, uh, approach takes, um, and it's actually one that uh, it's it's fascinating because my first experience watching singin in the rain was for uh, college like introductory film class and this was at the time i like didn't this was the one moment of the film that like at first didn't particularly like click with me i was like this feels like a little much of a diversion compared to the rest of the film and it was not until i saw it again in a theater last year that i was like i i do not know what i was thinking back then this is like a revelatory like shift in the way that the film is just a flipping its entire approach on its head
0: it's it's really interesting because i i um you know, I, I was reading about the, the history of this, and it uh, came about pretty late in production. And I guess as a result of the ballet from An American in Paris getting wide acclaim, which just had had a big award season, I guess, months before this came out. Um, and it was so late that, like, Donald O'Connor wasn't available. And, and yeah, I, I've noticed there are very mixed feelings about whether this really does fit into the film. So I know you kind of come around on it. How, how has that shifted? How do you see it fitting into the film now that you've kind of, like, turned your opinion on it?
1: Um, It's 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 of a couple of different parts because I feel like in its own way, uh, part of what works about this is it's almost kind of its own sort of story and miniature. But kind of as I was sort of taken with it, I was reading up on it and there's there's a number of different uh, sort of interpretations about how it in its own sort of way kind of acts as an emotional Climax for Don who doesn't really get one otherwise. It's kind of this encapsulation of his own like rags to riches story that he recounts at the beginning of the film and it's kind of a reflection on his journey here his sort of move from uh, dealing with Lena at the start of the film to having this uh, romance with Kathy Selden that uh, comes into play throughout the rest of the film and kind of the grappling of like what is true romance amid like a life of fame and being drawn through success and money and that sort of thing. It's it, it kind of grapples with a lot of the ideas that come up in the rest of the film without directly dealing with them in a way that I think works to its benefit
0: i i agree i really i like the way it's it's um like a miniature version of of a lot of the the arc and i think that's really cool um one of the things it's interesting my my discontinuity you know early on watching this movie was less about whether how it fit into our singing in the rain and more that i've never been able to figure out how it's supposed to fit into the movie itself you know <laughs> like the movie within a movie i have no clue where this fits that is a
1: good point my my thought when i last saw it was um, um, because the way that they set it up when they're they're talking about kind of how to fit in the modern stuff into the the period piece, this idea of uh, the dueling cavalier, the original idea they have for the movie, which is a, a French Revolution period piece, and then they're like, well, we need to incorporate modern numbers, so let's let's make it the dancing cavalier, and we have our character is a hoofer who comes to Broadway and gets hit on the head, and that's how we incorporate the modern stuff with the the period stuff. And so the way that uh, I kind of interpret it is, especially the the fact that this is supposed to establish this character who then gets hit on the head my thought is the only place it makes sense is the beginning of the movie but that that led to a thought that i had when i uh saw it last year which is that can you imagine a movie starting like this like can you imagine like (laughs) this is the the movie just fully braces you with this giant sequence right up at the front
0: (laughs) A full, full weird, semi-abstract character arc that that then ends with him successful and in romance and happy, and then Genghis gets hit on the head and thinks he's in revolutionary France.
1: It's either that or it's toward the end where he's, like, been struggling for a while. And then it becomes, like, the the sort of resolution of success. Like, ah, I've gotten so inspired by this this dream of the French Revolution that that's where I find my... I. Otherwise, I don't really particularly know. And I don't know if necessarily, like, Donnan and Kelly knew. Because, like, as you're saying, the, the production on this was very strange and rushed. I I was seeing a similar thing about that where, like, even the beginning of this movie was, like... Um, not not to diverge too much, but like uh, the beginning of this movie, they had like three separate ideas for how to start it and couldn't decide on them. And Kelly was like so exhausted from doing an American Paris that they just decided, uh, let's just combine all three of them. <laughs>
0: I, I I think it really works. I think in the the spirit of the movie, this is one of those movies that is like I, I, so. It, one of the reasons it doesn't feel like out of continuity to me, I, as I've reflected on it, I think is because the movie is this hodgepodge of like cross crossing ideas and and different numbers and and there is a light arc to the movie but it's not super concerned with that and so it deciding at this moment to take a diversion into Gene Kelly's fantasy life um, completely works for me as a result but it's Um, It is interesting because another piece of discontinuity that came out of this is, um, you know, you had mentioned stylistically it's different, and that includes the choreography, which meant that Debbie Reynolds, who probably should have been the person in this, was not (laughs) experienced enough to actually pull it off, so Sid Charisse takes place in this and I've seen that called out as a problem but I have honestly myself I've felt like it being only Don actually heightens that sense of pure fantasy in this like I like that it's just him I'm curious how that reads to you because it's 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 no one's here including this random new romance person
1: yeah it's it's fascinating to me because it's like the the thing that I was saying earlier about it being uh Sid Charisse's character being kind of emblematic of the Don's own like Uh, grappling with, like, love amid fame is, like, it's not a cut and dry thing, because, like, she's kind of at once representing both uh, Lena and Kathy in this situation, and I feel like that's kind of where, where Sid Charisse's, like, benefit here is kind of meant to, like, jar you out of that, because she's sort of supposed to represent these two things at once, where she's, they're very clearly having a sort of, like, whirlwind romance, especially in the dream ballet portion, but it's also, she's drawn in by the the fame and the accolades and the like the, the glint of money from like big promising financiers so it's it's i feel like having debbie reynolds in this would kind of lose some of the the kind of like multi multi nature of how that particular figure in this is supposed to work
0: it's you know one of the interpretations I saw of this, and I'm curious, wh- like if you've seen this and what your take is. Multiple interpretations of this see the Sid Cherise character as two playing two totally different characters in in this that the <laughs> that the, the like mob version yeah. of it, and I, I'm just curious. Like I had not had not read it that way the first time, and I'm curious how you see that.
1: It's I I I'd seen that, and I had kind of grappled with that uh, a first like a couple of times, but I think that. It, it works stronger uh, in in my because the whole thing is that uh, the second time that she appears, it's she's very clearly they kind of have this very sort of uh, passionate uh, meeting where they meet eyes across the room and they have this sort of break from the reality of the scene where they're just uh, kind of through that glance alone engaging in in their kind of passion for one another. And then at the end, she still brushes him off and still goes with the (laughs) the the, like mob boss that uh she's she's kind of like on the arm of um and, and so it's I feel like that interpretation it like it does make sense in the sense that there is kind of like a shift in the dynamics of those two scenes which I think is also um when we get into sort of like talking about the particulars of the like uh color schemes and, like, theming that's going on in here, because I think that uh that switch in her from having, like, the very, very striking, like, bright green dress to having that one that's kind of reflective of the, like, airy, lighter, cooler tones is, I think, representative of, like, that sort of subtle shift, but she's still... It it does seem like she's still the same sort of character in the sense that she's still drawn to the same things ultimately.
0: I, I agree. I, I kind of see it as the same character too, and it's this this sub theme in the narrative arc of this fantasy scene where you know he starts off and he's kind of like in bumpkin land early and he gets blown off, and then he we have this montage of his success, and now he's in his tuxedo and he's like the big star, and it's still still it still doesn't work. It's still not there, he's still mm-hmm. not big enough, and I kind of like it as a commentary on the the um, hollowness of success itself having value—that like you don't immediately get everything you want out of it, and it doesn't make you happy just because you have this success. So I kind of like that. It's it's it still breaks for him at that point, even after this like lovely fantasy sequence of their dance.
1: Yeah, I I do think um, one point that uh, I I noticed on this like recent rewatch that I did in prep for this uh, that I think does actually lend credence to the sort of. I, I don't think she's a different character in either scene, but I think she's emblematic of like two different points in like Lockwood's arc, as you're saying, uh, because the the backdrop specifically in that like second half of it when she appears is like very, very reminiscent of the backdrop uh, when Don is singing You Were Meant For Me to like Kathy, which is a similar sort of like cool, like skyline setting. And so it it feels like that part of it especially the dream ballet part is meant to evoke, uh, the particulars of like how that moment feels to him, especially because, uh, the, the costume itself is itself a deliberate callback. You have this, uh, in, in that previous number, uh, Kathy is wearing this like kind of flowing scarf and you have the fan going off and it's like blowing in the breeze. And here it's, very much a heightened fantasy version of it where she has this, uh, Sid Charisse has this giant, long flowing scarf and there's this like unseen wind blowing it. And so it kind of, to me, it kind of captures the sort of uh, illusion of that moment previously, but like through its own sort of magic of Hollywood effect.
0: <laughs> I, I that that sequence with that, with her, with the long scarf and um, is interesting to me because it's a, it's a fantasy within a fantasy sequence as it is like we, we enter like a second layer of fantasy and I'm always fascinated by movies that have the guts to sort of like, just like keep going down the rabbit hole of, of like layering a, a new type of fantasy into a fantasy sequence. And, and it, and aesthetically it's different. So it's not, it's so intentional. Like it's, it's a new level of abstraction to what's already a fairly abstract sequence at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, it's it's
1: it's an interesting
0: thing, and we should probably talk about like we can talk about color actually, since you did it because it's hard. I kind of wanted to like trace the narrative arc of this, but um, there is there's some very significant color choices in this. So talk to me about like what your view of the color is on here.
1: Yeah, so um, when when we start, we have uh, this sort of blue backdrop uh, in this like very sort of the the thing about uh, this number in particular is like kind of getting to the sort of uh, the, the fantasy elements of it it's very i don't i don't want to use the word like brechtian because i feel like that's overused but like it feels very much like it's calling attention to the artificiality of the sets and all of that and so you have this like just like very kind of deep blue backdrop and these disembodied neon signs kind of highlighting like the 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 glitz the glamour the draw in of uh the these kind of glamorous like art scenes um and it kind of continues there it's this kind of duality of like blue and then like yellow between like uh jean's outfit in the scene and like the the backdrop of like these agent stores and their own costuming and then it's it really kind of shifts to me when we hit the first like club scene because uh it it hits right when the um doorman at the scene like opens the little like window you see there's like just this glaring red peeking out and it becomes at first, it's it's kind of this big draw for Jean's uh, character within the sequence, uh, where it feels like it's him being brought into something he hasn't experienced before. But then, kind of, as Sid Charisse comes into it, and there's the whole like uh, introduction of the the mob boss and his his henchmen. It kind of feels like it's a representation of kind of the more like seedy underbelly of things, but also in its own way the sort of uh amorous passion that's going on there because it is it, it feels like it's kind of doing two things at once there and then um as I mentioned it's kind of where it shifts into uh the the last section of it where it starts in this uh very strange looking casino I think <laughs> there, there's like a roulette wheel um but it it, it feels very much like just a reception party of some sort uh but it's this kind of like very cooler lighter sequence of like uh light blues and purples and um it's it's far less kind of uh bright than uh either of those previous two sections it feels kind of like in that sequence gene's has kind of found his place in a sense that he's kind of he's been seeing success he's been like uh his character has been having all these shows and getting around and kind of made it as it were and uh Sid Charisse's character coming in is kind of instead of having that like more kind of uh lustful dangerous passion at something more kind of like tender and softer and like uh, especially the the ballet part of that is a far kind of softer and uh, calmer sort of dance than their their number before that.
0: It's 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 interesting that I find what I find interesting about the like the color journey of this is that I, I'm not sure any of the colors ever become fully fully like welcoming. Certainly the the purples of the last scene are. The, the coolest of the color and the least aggressive but <laughs> but there, there's something like it never the color choices never seem to want you to feel fully comfortable in in any of them except i guess when you get to the really fantasy sequence that's like the most comfortable of any of the colors but they're all a little standoffish and a little um separate from the color scheme of the rest which i find a really interesting choices
1: yeah yeah they they always kind of i feel like the sequence one of the the benefits of it in in my mind is that it never really fully lets you forget that it is firmly a fantasy and that it's firmly kind of divorced from the rest of the film because the rest of the film is certainly like lush and colorful in its own sense but in this one it feels like the sort of the colors and the sets kind of dominate the 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 vibe and the sort of atmosphere of everything in a way that they don't in the rest of the film.
0: And it, it this like this idea of the sequence and and also like, I, I think the color choices that kind of tend to go with it is this is a tradition in musicals that used to exist a lot and more or less has stopped the kind of like ballet Sequence. I mean, American in Paris had it, but uh, while neither of the West Side Story uh, movies have gone into it, West Side Story has one. Like this, like Mm -hmm. 40s, 50s era musical had was just like kind of a staple of of the musical at that point. And I I think it's interesting that even comparing this one to like an American in Paris, which is much more impressionistic in its in its take, whereas this is like very it takes a bent, which I haven't seen, which is, it's very stage-driven. It's it's very, it never tries to look, it doesn't try to look dreamlike nor real. And I think it's interesting. It actually looks like like a play. Like the whole thing is staged mm-hmm. like a, like like it's clearly sets. And I think that's a really interesting choice for the fantasy aspect of
1: a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of, in its own way, kind of mimics the idea of like the the staginess of like Broadway in its own way. And I I feel like, The only place that really does get like close to that expressionism is in the the dream ballet part where you have like no real discernible set or like sort of grounding in like what sort of place this is other than this is just a like plane of existence for these two characters to kind of express what they're feeling uh outside of the realm of the quote-unquote reality of the rest of the sequence
0: yeah it's you're right that is like that's like the one purely dreamlike moment and in, in what is there and and something about i'm there's this is an interesting movie because it take it's set in the fifties, but is about um, the twenties, about the t- end of the silent era, and then this is talking about like Broadway, and it's interesting because it's almost layers of artistic nostalgia in in the movies. You know, you have the fifties looking back to the twenties, looking to Broadway, um, and it's interesting <laughs> that they go like very hard into that that kind of aesthetic here.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of reflexivity in in the film itself, and it's especially kind of like how certain art forms and eras kind of inform each other and how everything's sort of like feeding into something from the past. I I don't know if you particularly encountered this, but like one of my favorite like discoveries kind of digging into this more is that like, it, it appears to me that this sequence in itself, specifically like in the naming of it is a reference to uh, the film Broadway Melody of 1929, which itself was the first best picture winner that had sound so it's this kind of this dual layer of it where it's itself a callback to sort of where uh the like uh the the talkies era kind of really got ushered in and became something that was like artistically recognized rather than just like a fad um and what's even funnier is that kelly was supposed to star in a remake of it in 1943 and the production fell apart, uh, he, he ended up having to go to another film. Uh, but what was even funnier about that is that the the movie that that became uh, was called Broadway Rhythm, which is itself a, a line that Gene is singing in the song. So it's almost, to me, it's, it's kind of like, uh, the sequence is not only him bringing what he did on American in Paris into this, but also being like, well, I didn't have the chance to make this, so let me just fold it into this movie. <laughs>
0: And, and I, if I'm if I'm right, the um the two song there's two songs that are a part of this, which are literally Broadway melody of 1929, like that song, but also Broadway rhythm, which is another song by um and I'm blanking on the the person's name here, Freed, Al- um, Alfred Freed maybe, um and they're like it's a mashup of those two songs
1: effectively. <laughs> um, That's that that is i i didn't know that that was that's incredible <laughs> it's
0: there's there's so th- it's interesting i did not i did not know this when you picked the scene and i went in and i in doing research i i you know so abby uh, phelps had come on and done uh, moulin rouge and during that conversation we talked about the jukebox musical which at the time we were talking about is kind of that rising up in the 90s in the 2000s but coming back to this this is interesting this is an era of hollywood where there was kind of a version of the jukebox musical of which this is because the origin yeah. of this movie was that Alfred Freed wanted to use his songbook. And so he produced this movie <laughs> to fill it with his songs in his songbook to help them be popularity popularity. Um, and so this number is it, but it's interesting because this doesn't feel the same way as the modern jukebox musical where it is trying for specifically nostalgia for songs. Cause I don't think these were big hits at the point when things came out.
1: Um, yeah. No, it is this particular era is more akin to like um, basically having these these kinds of musical numbers and songs that have been done in other movies are part of these songbooks and kind of threading a narrative through them. They're they're more contemporaneous than they are like looking back specifically for nostalgia purposes, because here you have like a lot of the there's a lot of kind of like compilation musicals of sorts that kind of go into it in this era as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, it, yeah. And so it's really, it's very interesting, like with this scene specifically because of, um, uh, so it's Arthur Freed, not Alfred Freed, excuse me. Um, but, um, we get these, like, two, these two numbers that are wrapped around and they were very, like, late introductions into the film. Um, and what I think is interesting about it is that musically, unlike the rest of the musical, this doesn't make much of an impression on me when you really get down to it. As a piece of musical music, I come away with other than gotta dance, which is like as like iconic <laughs> of a thing. There's there's almost no memorable music to me. Did you have a different experience, or is the music kind of wash off you in this one as well?
1: It it kind of to me it feels inseparable from the actual uh performances in this for like both good and bad, I'll say. Um it's it um yeah, of the numbers, this was definitely as I kind of revisited it uh for the first time last year after several years one of the ones where it was like the actual sort of melody of it hadn't stuck with me but it was more of just the the images that accompanied it and kind of since then as I've gone back and like listened to this selection in its own right like as part of the soundtrack album which is mostly just the instrumental accompaniment I find that it's kind of impossible for me to do so without just like basically storyboarding the entire sequence in my head like as it happens in the movie uh, which I think is a. Uh, a uh, particular like complement to to the visuals that it pairs it with but i think it's also it, it it kind of falls into that pitfall where like so much of the rest of the sequences uh are kind of very much driven by like how they marry specifics of like song and dance in terms of lyricism and like what is happening and this one it's almost entirely kind of accompanying instrumentation for these uh unsung dance numbers um so i think that's kind of i think that's where the divide that we're like seeing kind of comes into play it
0: it it's, it and it plays into i think also the the musical numbers with the exception of this are basically all tap numbers and i even in musically speaking mm-hmm. they're like heavily rhythmic they're um you know punctuated they're snappy there's like you know they're all that kind of direction and this is a, a basically a jazz ballet um, when you get to it and the music that accompanies that and obviously like the the choreography shifts as well towards that um, and I, I think it's interesting because they edge on things that actually I don't know if I didn't notice this I'm curious if you either knew this or even noticed it there's because it's jazz ballet it's a little more suggestive than what you would usually get past <laughs> the censors at this point, and there's a literal right. cut in the dance where I guess something too suggestive happened between. And so like, I think what I I've heard is, that. yeah, I guess like said Charisse at one point might have wrapped her legs around him and they asked him not to include it. And he did anyways. <laughs> and so the camera is where it is. And I, I don't have the time code in front of me, but like, it's just sort of a cut of, of it. Um, which is just very interesting to me that like, they had to like hide this little cut in, into the dance number
1: that's that's amazing cuz i was going to say watching watching this again in prep for it the the thing that stood out to me is itself just kind of like the the suggestiveness of like her her leg placement when he like lifts her is itself i i like it stood out to me this time where i was like that seems like further than I would have thought a movie from 1952 would have gone. So it doesn't surprise me that like there was possibly something more there that got cut out.
0: It's it's a very, especially the first dance, the second dance less so, but the first Sid Charisse dance is very spicy for the era, starting with a full up shot of her leg holding him back with her hat on the end that like pans up at it. It is like a, it is a a very suggestive moment for a relatively, you could get things past, but you usually had to be cannier about it. And I was very—I found myself very surprised by by what they managed to slip past.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's also it, it it's I think it's striking because like as we were were talking about, if we were to assign it to like particular like characters in the film, like Don's relationship with Kathy is like really anything but. It's all kind of like talk and interplay, and there's no real like suggestiveness to it. And so it's, if if anything, it's kind of. I think one angle to like maybe possibly like think about this from is like this sequence being a sort of means for him to sort of give expression to that element of like passion and fantasy that like he's not that like the that his sort of like dynamic with kathy isn't really able to
0: and there's there's an interesting layer that I hadn't thought of, which is that technically speaking, they are making a movie in the pre-code era, which I like which could have like been this is the kind of thing that wouldn't have been odd for the 20s. Mm-hmm. It, yeah,
1: yeah, it's 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 funny because, it, it, again, it kind of like butts up against that idea that um, it's kind of calling attention to the circumstances in which it was made while also like calling attention to where the film was made previously because there it's it like the the idea that it's a 50s movie about the 20s means that it's kind of within the fabric of the film there are all these sorts of uh adherences to the the kind of way that things are at the time but it's some of the like snappiness of the the dialogue and particularly kinds of like comedic exchanges are very much uh like that like to, to me one of the lines that like stands out is uh the line i can't make love to a bush which itself is very uh it, it feels far more suggestive than like y- you could get away with even within the code uh <laughs> but, yeah
0: There's there's something I feel like I want to I want to touch on before we get back to like the the aspects of it, because um, this was a movie that was co-directed as two other movies were by um, Donan, Donan, excuse me, and Gene Kelly. Um, And there's a lot of questions about what exactly the breakdown of responsibility and work was for those two people. And um, I'm kind of curious what your read on it is. How do you think about like the authorship of a movie like this, where there's some type of ambiguous split between directors
1: yeah i i kind of see it um if i were to wager a guess i i would have to imagine that like kelly is given creative credit just because like so much is going into the sort of way that the the musical numbers are folded into it and how those are likely choreographed and like sequenced storyboarded basically like all of the sort of ways in which those are integrated into it and uh so i to me that's kind of where his sort of authorship comes into it and donnan is more like the bigger picture stuff just in terms of how to organize the film and how to kind of lace all of these things that like kelly is bringing to the table into a coherent through line
0: it's it's i it's an interesting thing because you know like if you listen to their interviews they they speak to it as a collaboration in exactly the way that you're describing you know that's like they absolutely speak to that type of breakdown and um but one thing i i have found interesting um is that i guess their next movie was their last movie and they had a pretty huge falling out and donnan had done a lot of solo work and the stories that came out was that he was asserting himself more on it so it's just it's (laughs) it's it's very very interesting sort of like um i don't know like a power play that like that's there underneath the surface of of this movie and a movie about kind of power plays about like between studio and and creative forces so i don't know it's 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 interesting because this is a kind of thing that just doesn't happen now because of i think directors guild rules and things like you just Mm -hmm. don't end up with this type of breakdown in um responsibilities now
1: right and it uh, to to kind of bring it back to the the scene in question it's almost kind of fascinating because um the american in paris is such like kind of a a passion project of of kelly's that it almost kind of it begs the question of like how did that like co-directorship factor into this particular scene in terms of like how it got placed where it did like basically like right before the climax of the film and uh how did uh the two of them kind of like come to a decision of like, okay, we can have a sequence of like this length right here that is kind of divorced from the entire narrative of the film. And it's, it's one of those things that I don't know if we'll ever really particularly get like, a uh, like the perfect amount of like insight to figure out like how exactly that came about. But it's, it's something that like comes to mind as we're, we're discussing this of just kind of how much of this sequence and its placement is Kelly kind of, inserting one last number in order to get the film where it needs to be and how much of it is uh, Don in feeling like this is the, the sort of emblematic uh, kind of emotional uh, resolution for Don.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think it's interesting in this too, because it is, you know, a natural way of reading their breakdown is that Kelly may have been more dominant in the dance scenes versus, the other versus the dialogue scenes, but and this is a very dance heavy scene. But on on the other hand, when you look at Donin's later work, um, like charade and you know, use of color in his later work, this is not far off of Donin's aesthetic, um, in general, what he was able to pull off on other things. So I think it's interesting because like the easy read would be like, Well, this is Kelly's scene, you know, like Kelly's Kelly's right. probably driving in this, but but there are aspects that feel Donin to me that I think is is very interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that does also come about because so much of the scene is not even particularly, like, dance-focused in its visuals. It's more about the the sort of, like, backdrops and the the evocations that are going on within, like, the colors and the sets. Like, all, all the stuff that we've been talking about, which seems, like, more symbolic or... Uh, meant to express the kinds of like deeper emotional things that you would expect somebody like Donan to bring to it than Kelly. So that is a very good point.
0: It's, 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 I'm always fascinated by these kinds of things because especially in the early era of Hollywood, you never really know. And, you know, we talk a lot about authorship and like, you know, this is pre-auteur theory and stuff. And so like, it's interesting going back and being like, how did this come about? Like, where was the collaboration? And, um, you know, we'll never know, to your point. And I think it's like it's folly to like over ascribe any kind of specific things, but I think it's very interesting to think about how two uniquely and distinctly talented artists collaborated on something like this in a way that it does not feel pulled between authorial voices. This is a
1: movie with a voice and a sequence with a voice and and it comes off that way. Exactly. Yeah. D- just because like as I as I was watching it, like this particular question didn't even come into the foray just because it feels, it, it feels so striking in it's differences from the rest of the film, but it also does in its own way, feel very much of a piece of the rest of the film, like where it falls in the film very much kind of like the film has been like almost kind of priming you for this sort of thing. And that's why I think like it's kind of late placement is, is like significant because you've basically been prepared for this sort of thing until, and once once the film has kind of like had an hour to sit with you, you're able to like Don and Kelly are like, okay, so you're, you're primed. You're ready. Let's, let's throw this at you just to, to complicate things further, to change things up a bit. Um, but no, that's, that's, I think that, that is a very sort of like crucial point too, because like, I think if one of their voices dominated it more than the other, or if that kind of like balance were tempered, it would feel more jarring in the place of the film. It would feel like it's, it's, uh, kind of not really uh, synchronous with like the, the the rest of what's been going on and I feel like that's kind of part of its like unique magic is that they're able to change up this approach while also kind of like keeping that balance.
0: Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Um, so I'm curious. I, you know, I, I'm interested in talking about, um, you know, there's obviously a very strong dance aspect. This is a largely dance scene. But I, I'm curious about your, you know, your your interest in dance and film or otherwise. I'm just kind of curious, like, before I dive in, like, is it, you know, or like, dance scenes something you've liked in other movies? Is this distinct for you? Um, I'm interested.
1: It's it's fascinating because I there was a point in time where I would have probably said, n- no, it wasn't really a fixation. But it's been it's been something where, like, the the more I've kind of uh, dug into it and specifically with kind of like uh, heavily choreographed musicals and whatnot. I, I I wouldn't say it's a particular kind of like fascination of mine, but it, it definitely is the sort of thing where I feel like there is a kind of emotional expression and uh, sort of pure physicality that comes with it that you can't do with just um, pure dialogue or like say musical numbers that like are very sort of like limp with their choreography or basically have like non-existent choreography it's the sort of thing where as as I dig into like say earlier musicals like this or even like like more contemporary ones that have done stuff like say the new West Side Story um, it's it becomes a sort of thing where you kind of recognize the potential that like dance and choreography has in terms of expressing what a character is feeling or like conflict between two characters, how they're drawn together in a way that more naturalistic body language or movement can't really accomplish.
0: How how do you feel about that in the context of the scene? Like you know, there's there's obviously a storytelling aspect to both the choreography local to the scene and the change in choreographic style um, as we get into here. So like when you think about like the narrative side, like how does how does the choreography and especially like when I think about the pot to do at the end, like land? I'm just kind of curious, like coming from that perspective, how that hits.
1: Yeah, yeah. So something that like uh, came to my mind as we were talking about kind of the the suggestiveness of some of the uh, the sequences that as I was kind of thinking back on the rest of the film, there's not really much contact between characters in the rest of the film. It's more kind of, uh, there's this very sort of outward expression of like joy and uh, rhythm as we've been talking about with the dance, uh, the, the tap numbers specifically. But with this, it feels far more kind of I, I believe, I, I guess the way to describe it is kind of like engaging between these two main parties uh, kind of coming together, feeling drawn together, and there's a lot of kind of there, the the first part of the number where it's um, kind of this like push and pull between uh, Jean and uh, uh, and Sid Charisse's character are, are, there's this kind of like distance between them as they're like being pulled together, but it's also this kind of this feeling that there's something between them that something isn't really coming together. And then it's when they kind of embrace in that dream ballet and where it kind of um where they are kind of very physically hands on with each other that I feel like it really kind of varies from the rest of the approach of the film because none of the numbers that uh Don and Kathy have with one another have anything close to that level of physicality like even You you Were Meant for Me the big like romantic number from Don to Kathy is him singing up to her standing on this ladder there's not really like anywhere near that kind of level of like physical engagement between the two of them so I feel like that's, I, that's kind of the big switch in the sort of way in which this number is like choreographed is it's rather than words meaning to express feeling it's physical expression of that feeling entirely
0: it's a really good point there's there's an intentional passion to the dance that is not the style of the dance otherwise and so disclosure i'm i dance on film is like one of my like Passion areas like I really love dance. It's one of those things. That, my mom, um, you know, d- uh, danced amateur, but like you know, so she, I got this like very early like interest in dance scenes. And so, um, something I think that's interesting contextually about this scene is. That um, historically at this moment, this is kind of the very beginning of the age of Bob Fosse, who this is like this sequence is very in in the direction of of Fosse choreography when you look at like his career. Um, But one thing that's interesting that I didn't know coming in is that Gwen Verdon, one of his longtime partners, was a choreographic assistant on this musical with Gene Kelly. She's like uncredited, but (laughs) it's a very early Gwen Verdon um, uh, work. So. I don't know like what she was bringing or how much like she was influenced, but it's, it's very interesting because this is kind of a historical moment where this becomes the style of dance in musicals in a lot of way going forward. And so it's very on, on the edge of that.
1: It, It feels very appropriate that this, this film that is it, as we were talking about, like about how earlier art forms informing later ones is itself like in this way, an earlier art art form inspiring kind of like, the the new wave of like dance choreography so it's that's fascinating I I was completely unaware of that
0: <laughs> yeah it's 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 like it's like there's a lot of like it's I'm just fascinated by the various like things that overlap here and and I i guess I should say like just like to take that historical thing and about I guess what is this 52 this came out 52. um in 55 Stanley Donen co-directed Damn Yankees which was the second Bob Fosse Choreographed mus- movie musicals. So, like, uh, Don, and uh, which I guess actually goes right back to the authorship thing. It's very interesting. Like, this style is like, you know, in three years, he's going to bring Bob Fosse on to choreograph Damn Yankees. So, it's very interesting, like, contention of things happening in this scene for me. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me about um, you know. I, I want to talk a little bit about costuming, if that's okay, because I yes, think the costuming yes. is is very distinct and and is a part of the storytelling. I'm I, I but how do you like? Does the costuming land for you in this? Like, did that like jump out as anything?
1: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating because it, I feel like it kind of adds to the the heightened sense of this particular sequence where. Uh, not that the rest of the film is particularly like grounded it's like very much like a kind of lighthearted comedic musical but here um just kind of cuz i mentioned uh Sid uh attire too but i want to call attention to uh kind of the evolution of like Don's attire or Jean's attire cuz he's playing a different character within the film um in this in this moment where he kind of starts out uh looking like what almost kind of feels like the the attire for like a cartoon nerd is like essentially kind of (laughs) where he he starts this as and uh the there's a point made where like when he finds the agent that like wants to work with him the agent like has him basically like losing all of the stuff and like that first dance with Sid Charisse he like has his glasses and she like throws them away and so it becomes this sort of thing of having to sort of remake himself in uh in in order to fit in imagistically with the rest of this like showbiz lifestyle which it's itself is this callback to kind of dawn's own evolution and like being brought up from like somebody who's like working these uh basically kind of just sideshows into a, like genuine film star um but what, what makes it kind of like that particular angle like land even more to me is like uh at the very end of the sequence after the Sid Cherise thing ends he encounters somebody who is dressed identically to how he is at the start of the sequence coming up to him and that kind of is after he's been kind of shunned another time uh that's kind of the thing that like reawakens him and I I, I think that that's an angle that the-, the the film itself is like really fascinated with where it's like the the romantic aspects of the film are definitely very clearly there because like his connection with kathy is like the big sort of like heart of the film but the film itself is also just about kind of how above all else like it's his love for show business and like really sort of like uh giving to others in that capacity that is kind of like his ultimate kind of like Deep personal romantic love um and, and, and so i think that's kind of where that particular element of the costuming comes into play um i i, I also wanted to talk about the the Sid Cherie's costume in that like first part of it too because the she is the only person who is dressed in green particularly in there and i feel like that's not only does that stand out visually but it also kind of it's it feels emblematic of like say uh lena's own like jealousy that arises like right after the sequence when she discovers that like she's been essentially replaced by kathy um and it's i i feel like that's also a really big aspect in kind of telling the story of the rest of the film inside this film without actually saying anything
0: it's it's i i what i love about all of these choices that you're calling out is that it's it's a great example of of a lack of subtlety but a mix of (laughs) uh, but like but canny lack of subtlety you know what i mean like it's the most obvious costume choices you could make but it is very on point with what it's trying to do and so it's like you don't want or need subtlety in this sequence but you do want canniness
1: exactly and it, it, it fits into like some of the other stuff that we've been talking about because like we've said like the 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 sets themselves aren't really particularly trying to like not call attention to them they are calling attention to themselves and it's kind of it's of a piece of like what the rest of the the sequence is doing in that it's all of these things that are meant to be heightened and artificial and like really drawing attention to the sort of uh the 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 meanings that they're trying to impart. Um, so it, it it feels like trying to go subtle there almost kind of would have been like, a, a weird a weirder shift than going more heightened because the rest of the, it's not like the rest of the film is particularly like subtle in any of its other choices either
0: <laughs> right it's it kind of just kind of goes for this theatricality through and through and and you get little mm-hmm. moments of it too I love like part of the costuming story of of Gene's character that I really like is he starts in that kind of country bumpkin as you said he loses the glasses by the end of the dance with Sid Charisse, he's now stripped down to just sort of like a like, the waistcoat side of the thing, and he kind of looks elegant. And then we kind of get this little sub-montage of him, his career, basically. And his very yeah. first one is basically, like, some Jerry Lewis clown thing that he's doing. And then he kind of gets this, like, <laughs> um, like Uncle Sam costume. It's a little more regal. And then the next time we see him, he's in a tuck. So there's, like, almost the sub-story yeah. of his career via those costumes that I find really, really fascinating. It-
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's... it's I- a little moment that like really kind of like expresses that evolution. And it's also funny too, because like um, in that particular like, montage, the sort of like repeated refrain, uh, when I hear the happy beat dancing down the street, it like it itself is a, a callback to like a previous lyric that he has like in the club before Sid Charisse appears. And so it becomes this sort of thing where it's like using his own sort of uh, or- origins as a means of like refinement over time and kind of like th- especially like the the cherry the Lewis cloud thing. It's like, it's kind of where he starts at the beginning of the movie. He's kind of like dragging himself through the mud in the name of entertainment in order to maybe kind of land somewhere uh, with a little more dignity along the way.
0: Yep, exactly. It's like, it's, it's, it's I don't know, everything about like, it's I love storytelling in microcosm. And I and I think that things like shorthand becomes really important. And this is like, very much a, a model of like the shorthand thing, including something that I had forgotten. I was looking back at the costumes while you were talking about them. and I caught a frame that in between that montage, there are signs that describe his rise through things too, because it's like a burlesque. And then it's like a vaudeville. And then it's like Ziegfeld's Follies, which is like a more more upstage thing. And right. so like the the nature of the things he's going like the, the his performance spaces are increasing while his costuming is changing. And and like I said, it's not subtle, but that kind of shorthand is actually really hard to pull off. And we see filmmakers struggle with shorthand when they're condensing <laughs> things a lot. And it's like it's right on point with all of its like and it needs to land an image, it lands an image.
1: Yeah, that that's it's it's fascinating too because like what a lot of people I think are drawn to in the sequence are the more like drawn out portions of it. Like we've, we've been talking about with the dream ballet, but there is like, as you've been saying, there's a lot of like kind of very quick, like rapid fire storytelling within the sequence that like kind of passes by. And I think, Part of part of why this works the way it does is that it keeps you moving from those like points to points until it gets to its like co- kind of core stretches uh, without sort of really losing the momentum or losing the kind of coherency of like the through line. It's
0: it, it it's it, as like as a number like I mean the American and Paris ballet number I you know I if I had to like really choose like that's like the more bombastic and like you know like you know exciting one because it's like so big and it was intentional and this is later but like a choice they made on this speaking of like on the shorthand is going with that theatrical kind of look not only did they go with a theatrical look but they're making choices that i don't know if you did theater at all in in your days earlier so i did not know um but like you know when they're in those sets like in the club sets a lo- there's only a wall or two and everything else is curtains right like it's all curtains which is exactly what you do in theater when you're trying to save money on a set because uh-huh. curtains are way cheaper than building like standing walls and so it's not just kind of looking theatrical it's not overdoing it like it's like going for what a theater would actually do like this is this set's only here for like one scene we can't afford all of the walls let's throw some curtains up and it creates a realistic aesthetic as a result of that
1: yeah yeah and it's it's own way it's um because none of the the parts in this are specifically meant to like evoke like the, they're supposed to be like pieces in this character within the film's story but it it, it does kind of I th- i think part of why we don't question it is because like within the logic of the scene this is what we believe broadway is it's very sort of like it's tying together the theatricality of it and it's it feels very much like we're so, almost sort of like hopping from stage to stage and like seeing kind of like sets in microcosm as we're we're going from piece to piece and seeing basically almost kind of like snippets of like these different types of stage shows as they're represented in the evolution of this arc
0: yeah i totally agree i totally agree i am um... So I, I have a kind of a sidebar technical question, just because I spent time thinking about this, and I'm curious for your opinion. Um, the 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 flowing scarf in the pot of dough. It that like is it just a fan? Are they holding it up with a string? What's what like what's going? It's so <laughs> it's so perfect. The whole scene, you know what what's what, what's going on there?
1: I I I have in truth no idea. I think in the in my head it's a giant fan because they're again like trying to like evoke the sort of like callback earlier but in a more like fantastical fashion but I'm I'm not sure if you could pull that off just with a fan uh in order to, for it to like have the physics that you want it to have and have it be like so precise in terms of like how it's wrapping around Gene Kelly's body and like it it I feel like there's a level of precision there where there may be something there I'm not particularly sure I don't know how the logistics of that would work I uh, <laughs> I, I think your guess is as good as mine.
0: Yeah, yeah I just I, I, I sometimes my brain I, when I do this, I end up watching the scene like four or five times. And every time my brain latches on to some new like thing. And I spent <laughs> one watch just like staring at that scarf going like, is that? J-? And it, it, honestly, having watched it a bunch of times, I feel like it might just be the fan because I actually can't figure out how they would have done it otherwise. But that got me thinking, how many times did they have to do that? to not have the scarf ruin the scene if it was just a fan I, I'm I'm, I, I'm sorry these are the things I hang up on while watching these things it's like I just want to know I want I want someone to tell me what was going on in that scene because it's a beautiful effect the impact of that scarf is I, I, for me in a, in a scene full of visuals the thing that sticks with me the most from it is just like that the elegance of the way that communicates the fantasy of the sequence is is like chef's kiss to me so anyway sorry I, just had, I had to ask <laughs>
1: no no absolutely (laughs)
0: um so okay so i'm curious like uh, you know we've we've kind of touched on costuming we've touched on color um a little bit on choreography what what else stands out like what have what have we not talked about when it comes to the scene
1: um i i think um let me look at my notes here um i think one thing that like uh kind of stood out to me uh in terms of just kind of like recent uh examination of this that i think also stands out is that i feel like it in itself is not necessarily even the the completion of dawn's arc so much as it is um because like one of the things that i was reading in terms of um my my research into this is some people have like said it's kind of it traces how dawn kind of like moves into this this point where he realizes that like above fame it's like his his love for kathy is like what he's devoted to even if it like even if going against like lena might like cost him something materially and i think that uh a a subtle thing here is that uh the very first time we see kathy she's talking about like her own sort of like dreams of having this like stage acting career and how she wants to go to new york and i feel like that's something where it's because not only the the choice to set this on broadway is kind of like a move or a jump from like theatrical mediums i think it's it's kind of to me Reese is a sort of don trying to sort of like understand kathy in a way that like his his sort of like grappling with his uh idea of uh trying to embrace her above all else means that he's essentially like trying to place this character in his film in that kind of footstep in order to sort of understand to better understand this person that he's drawn to. I I, th- I think that that's something that like, I, cause it very much obviously could have been like, I don't know, Hollywood symphony. I, I <laughs> that's something to that effect. It wouldn't have had the deliberate like callback to like previous film history that would have had, had it in here. But um, I, I feel like it's kind of, By by making it Broadway Melody, it's not only, like, splitting the difference of, like, uh, doing a callback to, like, film history and also sort of, like, embracing a new sort of form of expression, but it almost kind of is, like, subtly calling attention to that sort of, like, hanging on to this, this dream, this ambition that, like, somebody that you care for has and trying to kind of almost understand what the sort of, like, emotional attachment to that is.
0: I really I really love that read and I it really kind of connects to me to um, like the the connection point that jumped out of my head when you said that was his refrain of gotta dance over and over again which is which you know um kathy's arc is you know she's willing to overdub lena because she wants to sing because she wants these singing and acting roles she has to do it and so she's willing to do it on behalf of don and on behalf of the show to make it happen um and the the running through line of this is like don's whatever his character is in this movie is like gotta dance is like his his version of of like what got him there like through his early part of his career and so it's like that that like anchors his journey through the whole thing and it it gets all the way up to that ending point you said when he sees someone who's in his exact form like his exact place when he started (laughs) and he like is confused for a moment and then he gets his most exuberant gotta dance um as soon as he (laughs) sees that person so
1: right yeah it's it's kind of it it, it becomes the sort of thing of like remembering like where one started and, and kind of recognize having that recognition. Cause I feel like that, that also ties into like how he see how he recognizes something with Kathy because like where, where he gets introduced to Lena Lena's already this like big shot star who's like rebuffing him as this kind of like ca- casting a cold shor- shoulder to him. But like where, where he meets Kathy, it's almost kind of like the, it, it's that same dynamic of like, him in the the tux at the end and this like new dancer coming through where he sees this person who's like an up-and-comer and it kind of reminds him of himself in some sort of way
0: it's it's so great that like i mean i had not remembering exactly how the scene went i remember when that happened i actually wasn't sure the direction they were going to take that there was this moment (laughs) that felt like it was going to be jealousy you know and instead like he has that and it kind of reads that way and then you said and it's like no gotta dance like heck yeah and it's like it's so it's kind of really wholesome and and lovely um towards the themes of the movie um
1: yeah yeah and i i i think one other thing it is is it's also kind of a sort of like reignition of like passion in its own sort of way, just because like um, kind of what, what drives Don's enthusiasm to like uh, I'm, I'm thinking about like when the, the first attempt at like the talkie premieres and like it like goes poorly and he's kind of down on his luck. What reignites his passion is this sense that there's like something new or a reminder of kind of like how to get into the spirit of like what he loves. And that's kind of, I, I, in, in its own sort of way, I feel like this sequence as a whole is kind of, like, representative of how, like, connection between people can, like, ignite that sort of, like, artistic passion in one way or another, even if it doesn't necessarily, even if it's, like, the romance that becomes of it, like, doesn't necessarily pan out, uh, there'll be, like, something down the line where you will, like, meet somebody who will, like, remind you of, oh, right, this is, I, I gotta dance, this is, like, the big passion that I was, I that I was here for all along.
0: <laughs> I love that. It's, it's I love it. So great. Um, awesome. Um, is there anything else? I, I'm definitely I, I've hit my questions. Is there anything else on this scene that
1: that you want to make sure we discuss? Um, I not really anything particularly major. Um, I, I do want to point out um, just because the the sort of ins and outs of the scene, we didn't really particularly talk. We we talked about the beginning of it, where uh, basically they're saying there's like one more piece of the film that needs to be finished uh and don kind of just comes up with this on the spot but i think um kind of just as important is uh just because you have this very long uh protracted number that uh is very much distinct from the rest of the film and to, to me, whenever you have something like that, uh, like a question that comes into mind for me is like, well, how do you then go back to like the the status quo of the rest of the film, even though it's like maybe another like 15 minute chunk of the movie at most. And it's um, I, I love the sort of exit of it where Don seemingly having like told the entire like voiced how he envisions the scene playing out is like so what do you think and and simpson is just like i i I love it i just have a hard time picturing it (laughs) is just this, this it's a perfect little like comedic note that like feels very much within the fabric of the rest of the movie and kind of like instantly kind of pulls you back in where you're like oh okay we're back to this now and it 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 may, it allows the scene to kind of have its giant grand finish that it does without really losing its effectiveness. It it feels very much like in that moment, it feels as larger than life as Don is explaining to it, while also kind of servicing the comedic momentum of the film. I think
0: you're you're so right. It's like it's very much it's an almost like animated sitcom moment of like someone disappearing <laughs> into fantasy and coming back, and they're just being like. All right, sure, whatever, sure. Okay, moving on. And there's, it's it's great. It's so good. Um, yeah, I, I I really appreciate you talking about this scene with me. This is like I, I I love going back to things um that I haven't seen in a while, and um I I think this is one of those scenes that because it's a little bit contentious as how great it is, it's really exciting to talk about like to pull it out um when and, and I also want to say I really appreciate you taking this. I mean I would have happily talked about any sequence in this, including the singing in the rain obvious number on it, but I really appreciate this like um, curveball like of of, of like the contentious scene because it's so much more interesting i love the tension of like how this fits in so thank you so much for <laughs> talking to me about this yeah um, this
1: was an absolute pleasure
0: <laughs> awesome awesome i'm really glad to hear that um so and before we get going is there you know I, I you've been doing a lot of writing out there is there anywhere you want to point the audience to find you or your work
1: uh not anywhere in particular i have mostly just a lot of things like underway that are probably still very much going to be like in the works as it were uh, but uh i uh if, if anything just uh i the, the easiest place to find me is uh twitter at natalie's not in it um and I, in theory at some point soon i will have like more of a distinct kind of like portfolio site that is going to have just an easier way to direct people to Many of the different things I've done because it's kind of all over the place. Awesome!
0: I will definitely go to find Natalie on Twitter. Um, I I love her her takes on everything, and through there, you'll you might be able to find her um, her letterbox, which I would h- highly recommend. Um, I I'm a big fan of your your writing there. Um, I think you're a great um, critic and analyst analyst on film, and and I would just encourage everyone to go. Like if you've enjoyed this conversation, um, your page is full of these types of thoughts and um, definitely go out and find that everyone so well thank you you for having me yes thank you for joining um and everyone thank you for listening um we will be back again soon with another episode thank you for listening